All right, so tonight we look at the subject of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As I've noted before, as we go through 1 Corinthians, we see a lot about the assembly. 1 Corinthians is more about the assembly, the gathering together of the Christians than any other text. The, the passage that we often quote about doing things decently and in order is within 1 Corinthians 14. It's the very last verse of this chapter. And so in about two weeks from now, on Sunday night, we'll, we'll get to the other half of 1 Corinthians 14 and look at some details about that. What we look at this evening is the importance of edification in the assembly. Oftentimes when we talk about the assembly, you might notice how I refer to it. I call it the assembly because that's what it's called throughout the scriptures. And it's very emphatic in the, in the Greek text. You don't have the phrase worship service. I'm not saying that it's wrong to use that phrase at all. Uh, do we worship in the gathering? Yes. Hebrews 2.12 indicates that. Everything that we do in the assembly indicates that. Is it a formal assembly? That's what we mean by service, a formal assembly. And in very many ways, it's true in the sense that it's done decently in order in our, in our gathering together, as we're going to look into a little bit further. But as we think about this tonight, we often think about the assembly as in strictly worship. And some people have gone to the point of saying, well, I can worship out on the golf course or shopping or on vacation or while I'm out fishing. And while that may be true, that is not the indication of what the Bible teaches as far as gathering together on the first day of the week in the assembly. While you may be able to worship in other places and other times, what you do in the assembly is very specific. And the Bible tells us about the acts of the assembly throughout 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, we see the Lord's Supper being a part of our gathering together. Someone might reason in their mind, well, I can take the Lord's Supper without being in the assembly. Well, you could. But when we look in the Bible, every single time that one partakes the Lord's Supper, it is in the gathering of the saints together, in the assembly. That's where we're supposed to partake of it. If you're tossed around at sea like Paul was, and you have no other option but to take it there, if you get stranded on a deserted island while traveling to do some mission work somewhere, then yes, then you might have some reason to do that on your own. But as long as we're together, we need to be taking it together. Another thing we see in 1 Corinthians 14, we'll see this tonight, is that the assembly is for teaching. That is preaching together. We also see singing and prayer, and that'll be noted this evening. When you go to 1 Corinthians 16, you'll see that uh, the collection was to be done on the first day of the week. Whether that is directly done in the assembly or not is, is another, another thought. But that's what we're getting into this evening, the details about this and what has been going on in Corinth. They're divided. Remember, they're not waiting for one another in the Lord's Supper. And so even their, their factions and divisions in this congregation are showing up in the assembly. And we want to make sure that we avoid that. All right, as we go throughout our life, there are certain things we want to avoid. And I know a lot of people who hate meetings. They don't like meetings. Why? Because a lot of meetings seem pointless. You could have just sent me a memo. You could have sent me a message. Why are we having this meeting? Why is this meeting going on twice or three times as long as it needs to go on? Why can't you just get to the point? And sometimes you might have vague messages that you get. You ever gotten an email where you just can't figure out what it means? I have a person in my family, and I love her, but when she sends out uh, text messages, nobody knows what she's trying to say. I don't know if she's dictating to the phone or what's going on there, and I don't want to give it away uh, or tell you any more details about that, but sometimes it's very humorous. You know, it'd be things like, um, package you get? We get that, that's kind of the messages we get, things like that, and, and I'm thinking, 
it's like English is not their native language, which I know it is. When we think about those things, the reason I'm pointing that out is, is when we come to the assembly, this is an assembly that has a purpose. And has a purpose of worship and a purpose of edification. Edification means to build up. How are we to build up? We're going to look at that. Another thing is, is when we gather together in the assembly, we're not to be speaking in vague messages. Not to be ambiguous. Now, I know that there are certain things in the Bible where Peter says Paul wrote things that are hard to understand. Sometimes messages will be hard to understand. Sometimes scripture can be hard to understand. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's good for us to be able to wrestle with Scripture. I mean, that's what makes the Bible so powerful. Is we can go back and read it over and over again and learn more. So when we come to the assembly, we want to make sure that it's definitely not pointless and it's definitely not vague. So let's look at the first few verses here. We're going to look at the first six verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And let's see what Paul says here. Remember the context? Context. He's saying you're divided because you're not loving one another. And he emphasized, as we read in chapter 13, love one another. These gifts that you have are going to cease. They're going to come to an end when the completion of these partial things have, have become completed. And I believe that's referring to the complete revelation of God's Word and all truth being revealed by His Holy Spirit. Uh, in chapter 12, we see division because some of the people in the church are having different gifts and they're putting it over other people and saying, we don't need you in the church. They're, they're using the speaking in different languages and speaking in tongues. That's what speaking in tongues is. And they'll be clear about that tonight. Speaking in different languages, they're putting it over other people's heads, even though Paul says it is the least of the gifts that are given by God. And yet... They're treating it as though it is one of the greatest. And it's causing disorder in the assembly. It's causing this, not only there, there's faction in the, in the assembly, there's division, but people are not getting anything out of it. There's no edification there. And you can imagine that. It's just strife and meaninglessness that's going on. So let's take a look at the passage. He says, pursue love. Makes sense because of what we have studied in chapter 13. We want to pursue love. It's the, God's greatest gift to us. And he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He says, what you need to desire is to prophesy. And I'll, I'll say this again. Prophecy does not mean to merely predict the future. The Greek word prophetes means to speak forth God's word that has been revealed. And in the first century church, when you didn't have the New Testament written out, God is very specifically, by his Holy Spirit, guiding apostles and prophets, and they will speak forth God's word in different settings of teaching, and specifically in the assembly. He says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for, one under, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. In other words, they have people in the congregation using this gift of speaking in foreign languages, and nobody knows what they're saying. And the person saying it may not even understand what he is saying. And so it's only God who is hearing it. He says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies, in other words, the one who preaches, speaks to people for their upbuilding, that is their edification, for their encouragement and consolation. That's what we look for in the assembly. We want encouragement from God's Word. We want consolation. We want edification. We want to be built up from the study of God's Word. And we see that very clearly here. All right, look in verses 4 through 6. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. He's only putting himself up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. He edifies the church. He's speaking that which is encouraging and edifying. 
He says, now I want you all to speak in tongues. And he's going to tell us why when we go a little bit further. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Evidently, those who are speaking in different languages in the assembly, nobody knows what they're saying. There's no interpreters. None of that is going on here. It's pretty much a talent show. And the assembly is not for displaying of talents and simply saying, listen, God gave me this gift. Watch what I can do. It is to use your ability to help the congregation, help your brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's continue reading here. He says, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? When we gather together as a congregation, what should we expect to be spoken Revelation from God. Where do I find that? In the Bible, in Scripture. Now, in, as Christians, when we have God's Word complete, the New Testament in written form, we can hear God's knowledge given to us, all truth revealed through the apostles and prophets given to us through the Scriptures. We can read prophecy. We can read teaching. That's what belongs in the assembly. That's what builds up. That's what edifies. And a lot of people today will say, well, if, if, if I heard more of this or that, if I heard more life application and stories. And that can be a, a downward heel, trying to meet all those kind of standards. What the Bible says is, teach revelation, teach the scriptures. And there's a way that we can increase this that I, we'll touch on in two weeks from now when we get into the latter half of 1 Corinthians 14. But those who speak in the church, here's the clear message, must teach for understanding to edify, encourage, and console. That's what I'm seeing in the text. I hope you agree. We need that. We need that in the church. This is what our gathering together is for in the assembly. And then we get to another point that I think is emphatic tonight. And I mentioned this last week that we would talk about this. Should churches maintain biblical traditions of worship and assembly? There are a lot of churches out there today who follow what's called the normative principle. They take the traditions that have been passed down, and today they'll have a traditional service or they'll have a contemporary service. They're following the normative principle. They're either trying to appeal to tradition that's been passed down or to society and what may bring in more people. The other one is called the regulatory principle. And it's been called that since the Reformation, and that is, and there are some churches that maintain it today besides the churches of Christ. And that is that we are to keep the traditions as they've been delivered to us. I mean, what do I mean by traditions? I should say, what does Paul mean? Because this comes from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2, where Paul says, keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. In other words, don't change what God has given to you, what God has passed down to you for the assembly, for your life, for what you do together as a congregation. Don't alter it. It sounds to me like the regulatory principle, that is, that we do not add or take away. We do what the Bible tells us to do for the assembly, and we do it for good reason. So we worship together, and we edify one another. Let's think about that a little bit further. Here's a statement right here, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You remember in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if you were to give all your money away to the poor, or even give your body to be burned and have not love, it profits you nothing. Remember that? And then he also mentions there, if you're speaking in different tongues or you can prophesy or whatever your ability might be in speaking, but you don't do it with love, he says, you just become like a clanging gong or a cymbal. So we have a reference there, one of the few references in the Bible, in the New Testament, not in the Bible, in the New Testament, be very, very 
specific of an instrument. Here we have another reference to musical instruments. It's interesting here because Paul is not saying these instruments were in the assembly or had any part of the congregation in the beginning. And he contrasts them and he uses them as an example here. Also notice the description that he gives for the instrument. He calls, it, calls them lifeless. And I think most translations translate it as lifeless. The Greek word is asukia. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But asukia means it has no soul. Sukia meaning soul, and ah, the A before it means it is soulless. So that's his description of these instruments. And it's clear here from this reading that they're not in the assembly. What's going on in their assembly is people are speaking in different languages. And he's saying, listen, you speaking in different tongues is worse than an, an instrument that could provide some kind of a distinction in notes. Let's go on and read the text and and think about what, and see what's going on here. 7 through 9. He says, Even if lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will any know what is played? And he's not saying this is happening in the assembly. He's saying this tells you what the song is. Now this is as far as the communication of instruments go. There, there's no words that can be, can be conveyed in musical instruments. And what we're going to see here in 1 Corinthians 14 is that in the assembly, intelligible words are to be spoken. That's how we are to speak and to teach. That's how we are to sing together. That's how we are to pray, by using intelligible words, understandable words, not in a foreign language. And again, the instrument can't convey such a word, any, any such communication. This is as far as it goes. He, he says here, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? And he says again, there's a communication that needs to be made here. So with yourselves, if your tongue, if with your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. And so here they are speaking in different foreign languages. It's not intelligible. It's not with words anybody can understand. It's meaningless. I'm listening to my kids whisper over here. A little distracted, but they're whispering over the Bible, so I can't get on to them right now. I was about to do that, but good job. All right. I've never had to do that before, but y'all were distracting me, but you're talking about the Bible. I think they're in the book of Revelation, right? Yes. Okay. All right. A little distraction there. Forgive that. Now that I got your attention back. Uh, the principle of worship is to do so, again, with intelligible meaning, with specifically with words. And I would add here, the instruments that are noted are soulless, they're lifeless, they're not able to even communicate words. And from that matter, when he's saying here, don't speak in a foreign language, and that doesn't belong in the assembly, we can apply that to anything that's not expressing intelligible words. And churches throughout the centuries have seen this. The word a cappella comes from uh, the Latin meaning of the chapel. For centuries, the Catholic Church and other churches throughout the centuries um, including the Orthodox Church, even today, for the most part, does not use instrumental music. Catholic Church didn't start using it until the 12th, uh, 13th century. That is in a broad way. Um, there are some occurrences before that. But we see that the word came up, meaning of the chapel, meaning that kind of singing, a cappella, without instruments, is how it was done for centuries. And what we see in the Bible is the same thing. There's no place for it. There's no meaning for it. All right, 
Let's look a bit further here. 1 Corinthians 14 and verses 10 through 12. Tongues manifested in different kinds of languages. That's what speaking in tongues was. All right, there are some who have thought that it was of you know, angels or a different language. We talked about that before. But as we've looked at the number of scriptures, especially in the end of 1 Corinthians 12, these are different types of languages. We can see that here. There are doubtless many different languages in the world. These are not a special spirit tongue that you're speaking to God with. These are different languages, and they have a purpose. Why did God give this gift to the church? Well, it wasn't for the assembly to talk to other Christians in the assembly. What we're going to see is that it's for taking the gospel to the world, to, to those that you don't know their language. That would help the gospel to spread very quickly. And so it says here, uh, None is without meaning, but if I do not know the meaning of a language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. You have New King James that says, for the edification of the church. We need to be speaking in, lang in words that are understandable. Uh, men, I would take that in further application today, that when we stand up in the congregation and we lead a prayer, uh, we lead singing or we speak, we read scripture, do your best that you speak clearly, uh, where others can understand you, because that's the purpose of you speaking. If we are to mumble or to lower our volume where others cannot understand us, if we allow our southern slang to come out more to where others might not understand us, those are things to be mindful of and that we try to be as clear as possible. All right, let's look at the next passage. And this is a very powerful passage right here, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 13 through 15. And I think there's much application for this. We tend, I think, maybe to stray toward being very mindful in our worship and in the assembly, but not so much with our spirit. This church is engaging in their spirit, their fervent, and their actions, but their mind is not a part of their worship. Your mind should be a part of the assembly. It should be a part of the teaching, and we should be ready and prepared for that when we gather together. Listen to what Paul says here, starting verse 13 through 15. It says, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. If you're going to do that, you need to interpret. I have an example of that right now. If you see up there, I define the word solo. It means to make melody or make music. That's the word that's used for singing here. If I simply was to start quoting Greek text to you and not translating it, that would be wrong. And there are churches who in the past have spoken in different languages, read the Bible in different languages, and not translated it to the congregation. Sometimes they'll say, well, we'll read it, and then we'll tell you what it means. Uh, and that's to be concerned concerning. But what we see here in the text is if you're going to reference another language, interpret it. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? This is what Paul says the conclusion should be. I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. So it is a matter of passion and your heart when you're, when you're worshiping God, especially in the assembly, but it's also a matter of your mind. He says, I will sing, that is, I will, this is my translation, ESV right here, says, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. If I were to translate it directly from the Greek, I would translate it as, I will make melody 
I will make music with my spirit, and I will make melody with my mind also. Your mind is involved in it. Your spirit is involved in how you worship, how you pray, how you sing, and how we make music. This word I pointed out here because other people have gone to certain passages in the New Testament. So here's the word solo, and they'll go to Strong's lexicon, and they'll say, see, Strong says that it means to pluck an instrument. That's not the meaning of the word. The meaning is more generic. It means to make music, to make melody. And very specifically here, he's saying, when we do that, when we solo, it consists of words. It, consists, it should be a part of the spirit and the mind together. We can comment more on that. If you want to discuss further afterwards, we can. But by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul instructs Christians to worship with the spirit and the mind. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like another passage in Scripture? I'm not saying it's a direct parallel, but one of them that stands out to my mind when I read this is John chapter 4, and verse 24, where Jesus commands that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And this would be it being actualized by Christians. We're going to worship with the spirit. We're going to pray and sing with the spirit and with the mind. Those who speak in the assembly, they should preach so that others understand the Word of God. That's the objective. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes the text, like Peter says, can be hard to understand. But that is what we're going for. Before we finish tonight, let's look at the last few passages here. My end of my reading is going to be in verse 19. I'm going to leave you 20 and 25 to read on your own. But look right here, chapter 14, 16 through 19. He says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how will anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Here's the only reference we see in the Bible of saying amen. And the amen is to a prayer. It is good for us to say amen at the end of a prayer. I don't believe this excludes women from saying amen. When we get into the outer part of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says women are not to speak. It's talking about public speaking. We'll get into more of that in two weeks from now. But he says, in giving thanksgiving and prayer, this is when the amen is to be spoken. It tells us a lot about the assembly, that others could speak uh, in, in confirming what is being prayed and what is being said as a congregation. So again, he's saying, I want you to do this in words people understand so they can say amen. This is true. He says, for you may be giving thanks well enough, the other person is not being built up. You're not edifying anybody when you're doing that. If you're going to pray in a different language, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul has the ability as an apostle of Christ to speak in various languages, to take the gospel to all the world. He says, nevertheless, in church, in the assembly, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. You might be a very spiritual person, and you can say 10,000 words very eloquently, and nobody gets anything from it. What profit is it? Better to speak five words with the mind to instruct others. Very true. That would include our songs. You ever sung a song, and you come across the word, you've never known what the definition of it is? I don't know if our songbooks define the words, do they? At the bottom? Okay, thank you. So at the, at the bottom of our songbooks, you come across one of those words like, what is it, Ebenezer, I think is one of them, or words like that. You can go down there and you can look it up and understand what you're saying. And I hope that when we're singing words like hallelujah, we know what that means. 
Hallelujah is a um, Hebrew word meaning to hail to Yah or Yahweh, praise to Yahweh, praise to God. And we do need to certainly understand those words that we are, are singing. And this, this text encourages us to do that. I, I said I wasn't going to read the rest of 20 through 25. I encourage you to do that. But here's a brief summary of it. Mature Christians know that tongues are for proclaiming the gospel to other nations. That's what this gift is given for. That's what the text says. In fact, outsiders and unbelievers will think that believers are out of their mind. They're mad. They're crazy. You ever been to a church where they tried to speak in tongues? What did you think about that? The Bible even says that if you try to do that and the, those who are coming in don't understand it, they're going to think that you're out of your mind for, for doing that. And then you have many people trying to do that today. And you have the same reaction. He says, rather, prophesying or preaching, proclaiming God's word, that will convict the outsider and the unbeliever in assembly. You just need to preach the truth. Preach for edification of the saints, for the assembly, for the gathering. Our point when preaching is to teach the church first, to edify the church. That's what we've been reading. And then any unbeliever or outsider who comes in can hear it and see for themselves. In fact, in the text, it says the unbeliever may fall down on their face and worship God because you've actually taught the truth. You've not displayed that you are um, kind of disconnected from reality, which is what the impression is coming off here from those who are speaking in other languages. This is what we've seen tonight. The apostles and the prophets, they taught the regulatory principle. They taught that we should maintain the traditions just as they're delivered in the Bible. We've seen that thoroughly, and we've had it emphasized tonight. In review of our lesson tonight, before we conclude, think about these points again. This is what we've seen this evening. Number one, speak for edification of the church. I have two prepositions there. Please excuse that. All right, speak with intelligible words. Worship with the spirit and the mind. Better to speak few words that are understood. And speak as mature to convict unbelievers and outsiders. And that's what we've seen this evening. I think that has a big impression for the maturity of the church. and something we certainly don't want to leave behind. As we finish tonight, we encourage anybody... If you need prayers this evening, you need to study more about how to be saved or whether you are saved, we want to do that with you. Uh, if you have any needs tonight, we can pray with you and encourage you. We want you to come forward right now while we stand and while we sing.